This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. It is our prayer that you will be blessed by the preaching of God's Word. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Mark chapter 3. People have been hurting all over the world, and uh, that's never what God had planned. And they've been hurting because of Satan and what he's doing around the world. They've been hurting because of sin. And our God loves people and wants people to have salvation and be saved. And so when you get to this passage of Scripture here that we're about to study in Mark chapter 3, the war that's going on between Satan and God, the, uh, is, is a, it's going to be a head front here because he's going to talk to religion and say, you guys are working with the devil. You got the same attitude they got. This is wrong. You ought not be doing this. So I think you're going to enjoy this passage with me. Go with me to Mark chapter 2. In verse 28, if you write things down, it is who is really the Lord of the Sabbath? Who really is the, the God of the seventh day, the God of the Jewish holy day? And in the passage of Scripture we just went through in Mark chapter 2, it was Jesus. And he was walking through the fields with his men and they were plucking the grain and eating the grain. And the religious people said, your guys don't keep the rules. You guys don't keep the rules. And Jesus said, guys, you got it all messed up. The Sabbath wasn't made to rule over man. The Sabbath was made for man. And so look at what he says in Mark chapter 2 and verse 28. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He is God, and he's in charge, and religion shouldn't tell us what things are about. God in human flesh, Jesus should tell us. Father, I pray today that you'd bless your people. I pray you'd let them go home excited and blessed by what the scriptures have to say. I pray you'd strengthen us, strengthen our families. I pray you'd be with those in our church that are hurting. And I pray you'd meet needs and we'll give you praise and honor and glory for all that you do. So go with me if you would to Mark chapter 3 verse 1. So here's the story. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So the first thing he does, he gets through in the field in Mark chapter 2. Now we're in Mark chapter 3, and John, or John Mark is telling the story, and he wants you to kind of get the picture. So Jesus had this confrontation with the religious leaders about eating grain on the Sabbath, and now he walks in the fields on the Sabbath, and now he walks into the Sabbath, he walks into the synagogue, and this is what happens in verse 1. It says that he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. So Jesus intentionally goes into the synagogue on this day, and he is ready to deal with some people. Now, quickly, kind of a sub-note here. What's a synagogue? A synagogue is just a gathering together. It's a place where they got together and they studied the Bible. They kind of based it on Nehemiah chapter 8. Take your Bible with me and go back to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, and this is kind of what's going on. What's a synagogue? It's a, ga a gathering of 10. Uh, usually, if they had 10 men or more, they were supposed to build a synagogue. They were supposed to get together. They usually met on, on, uh, on uh, Monday and Thursday and Saturday, and they had their meetings. And so look at what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8, and verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded, uh, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So the book of the law of Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. That's the Old Testament. That's the books of Moses, books of the law, or the Pentateuch. And they were to bring that in 
to this place in in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. And then the people were to pay attention as the word of God was expounded. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 3. The Bible says, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning until midday. That'd be a long time. If they started at 8 and went to midday, that's 4 hours. If they started at 6 and went to uh, 12, that's twelve uh, 6 hours. I'm just going to say, y'all do good to stick with me for about an hour and 10 minutes. So uh, these And they didn't sit down. They were standing up. So they must have been some really strong dudes. Look, if you would, at the last part of chapter 8 and verse 4, and it says, And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the books of the law. They came. They knew they were hearing from God. They knew they had the holy book. They wanted to hear what the holy book said, and they listened. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. He opened the book. All right, this is what we're going to study. Notice I'm opening the book. I'm not here to talk to you about what I think. I'm not here to talk to you about what Dr. Phil thinks. I'm not here to talk to you about what Oprah thinks. I'm not here to talk to you about what Austin thinks. We're going to open the book, make sure it's what the book says. That's what they were supposed to do. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8 explains how they did it. It says, so they read in the book and the law of God distinctly. They read it clearly and they gave the sense and they caused them to understand the reading. So the idea was let's read the Bible. Let's figure out what it means, and let's discuss it. That's what they were doing. Now, here's the beautiful thing. You will find out why the conflict's taking place. When they got together and read the Bible, it wasn't to make people go home all beat up. Most churches could take a check on this chapter right here, and they might find this out. Look, if you would, at Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 9. You're going to like this verse. You need to underline this verse. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. And Nehemiah, which is a Tershavah, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Don't mourn. Don't cry. For all the people wept. When they heard the Bible, they're like, My goodness, we're reading the law of Moses. We're hearing how bad we're doing. We're all messed up. And all the people wept. And when they heard, when they heard the words of the law. But in verse 10, he said, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. And send portions unto them whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be grieved. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. You know, when you first read the Bible, if you're not saved, you ought to get real sad. Because when you read the Bible, you're going to find out you've sinned against the Holy God. You read the Bible, you're going to find out there's an eternity to be spent in hell forever if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ. But if you read the Bible and find out about Jesus and find out about who you are and find out about the sacrifices, you ought not be sad. But look at chapter 8 and verse 12. It's like a party ought to take place. Look at it. And all the peoples went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great mirth. They had understood the words that were declared unto them. So you know what happened? They got in the church or in the synagogue, which was a gathering, which is similar to a church. They gathered together. They opened the Bible. They read the Bible. As they read the Bible, they found out who they are and where they messed up and what they're doing wrong. That made them sad. But here's the whole deal. The whole point of the whole time was you ought to know you did wrong. You ought to know you messed up. You ought to know you need help. And when you figure that out, Jesus died for you. And in the Old Testament, a lamb died for you. An animal was slain for you. There was forgiveness through a sacrifice. If you don't understand that, say amen. And so they were, he was like, yeah, you messed up, but Jesus took care of it. So get happy. 
Go home happy. Go home saying, we've been forgiven. Go home saying, I don't deserve it, but by the grace of God, I'm saved. It ought to be a wonderful day. Now go with me if you would to Mark chapter 3 and verse 2. So that's what was happening. He went to the synagogue. Now this is a place where they ought to be opening the Bible. And this is a place where they ought to be following the Nehemiah approach, where they ought to be getting together and going through the Bible. They ought to find out what sin is, but they ought to find out what sacrifice is. They ought to find that out. And they ought to be able to go home and say, man, we had a great day. We met with God, found out about his salvation, found out about his forgiveness, found out about his grace, found out about his mercy, found out of what a wonderful God he is, and they should have gone home, but that's not what's happening. And so in, the, in the Mark chapter 3 and verse 2, there, Jesus comes in the room. And, man, Jesus is different, man. Everywhere he's going, he's touching people. He's healing people. If you're a leper, if you're messed up, Jesus is there. And when he comes in, they already seen him outside taking care of uh, uh, not, not being worried about the rules. And he came in, and so they automatically said, watch him, boys. Let's see if we can catch him breaking some rules. Mark chapter 3 and verse 2, they watched him. They wanted to know whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. You see, they had a whole bunch of rules. I think it was 39 rules about what you could do, what you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. If a wall fell on you at your house, they could move the wall to see if you were alive. If you were, they couldn't help you anymore. They just got the wall up there. If you broke your arm or sprained your arm, they could pour, uh, they couldn't pour cold water on it. If you had a cut, they could wrap it in a regular bandage, but no ointment. Because that'd be doing medicine, and doing medicine would be bad. So these guys are, none of that's in the Bible. It's all in their tradition. So these guys are eaten up with religion. Kind of like some of us. They don't want to judge people and not love people and not help people and not carry the good news to them. Some of us that want to think we're better than other people because we're Baptist. Because we go to church. And so we want to think we're better. And so Jesus is like, that's not going to handle it. That's not going to work. He knows they're watching him. So he's going to heal the man. He's going to do it to make a statement. Look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 3. So here he is. Can you not see this? Mark's telling the story the way Mark wants you to read it under the inspiration. Holy Spirit, Mark says, yeah, the guys were out in the field on one Sabbath day, and they were eating the food they weren't supposed to with the Jewish law. And, they, and Jesus said, boys, don't make up those stuff. I'm the Lord of the harvest. And then the next story Mark wants you to read is how he walks into the, into the, into the synagogue. In verse 3, he said, and he said unto the man with that had the withered hand, stand up. And then he could, he could have waited Jesus could have healed the guy on Friday. Jesus could have healed the guy on Sunday. Jesus could have healed the guy on Monday. But he chose Saturday because he wanted to make it clear, I am the Lord of the harvest. You religious people don't get to make the rules. I'm the Lord of the harvest. See, they had twisted the truth. Look, if you would, at Mark 2, 27. From last week, Mark 2, 27. And he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He said, I didn't make up the Sabbath rule so we could beat you up. So we could all judge you and see if you'd done right or done wrong. I didn't make it up for that. I did it to you to be a blessing to you. There are hurting people here that ought to get help. What's the real purpose of the law? They should have been showing the goodness of God instead of being so strict. They had forgotten the real ministry of good news. So easy to get so hung up on Religious regulations on rules. Look, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about the same thing. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, he said, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Now look what it says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now you need to underline this in the Bible. You really need to open your Bible here. We've already preached through this book, so we won't be getting around to it in my lifetime. So look at verse 7 again. But if the ministration of death, if the ministry of death, you know what the law is? Listen to me. You know what the Ten Commandments are? A ministry of death. Written and engraven in stones. And that was glorious. Because we need that. We need those Ten Commandments. We need to find out we're sick. We need the MRI. We need the x-ray. We need to weigh on the scales. We need to find out we don't measure up. We need to find out we're sinners. Verse 8. How shall not the ministry or ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? You see, there was this ministry of death. So when you walk into the law, you never measure up. You never measure up. Jesus would look at you and said, have you ever committed adultery? And you'd say, nope. He said, you ever looked at a woman? Yep, you're, already, you're, you're messed up. You always obey your parents. What about in your heart? No, you hadn't. Everybody fails the Ten Commandment test. The Ten Commandments were never written for you to keep them. They were written to show you that you needed help because you weren't good enough. If you think you're going to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments, you're, you're really messed up. In James chapter 2, if you mess up one of them, you messed up all of them. So look at verse eight, uh, 9, if you would. The ministry of condemnation. Ministration of condemnation. See, there's a ministry of condemnation. Be glory. Much more doth the ministry of righteousness exceeding glory. So the synagogue and the teaching of the law should have said this. You are a failure. You have messed up. You don't measure up. You're not good enough. God will never accept you. You cannot get to heaven. You cannot be good enough. I don't care how hard you try. You're never going to fix stuff. And you say, that's not nice. I know it's called a ministry of death. It's called a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of condemnation. But you need that so you can get to the next step, which is to find out a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of God fixing things. You see, when you are messed up, you'll have to go to him and say, I can't. That's why you sing songs like Jesus paid it all. Jesus didn't pay 99% of it, and you had to come up with a percent. Jesus paid it all because we couldn't. And Jesus is saying, when they come to the synagogue and this man's hurting, somebody ought to care. This place ought to be here. He's in trouble. He needs help. Why don't y'all care? We'll see that in just a second. But if you're here this morning and you think you're going to go to heaven because you've been baptized and christened, and you've been, you've been baptized in every kind of church, and you've been doing every kind of rule, and you don't eat pork, and you don't eat shrimp, and you keep the Sabbath day holy, and you're good to your neighbor, and you take your kids to church, and you do all that good stuff, you need to know you're a cultural Christian, but you're probably not saved. Because what you do won't get you to heaven. What you do won't get you to heaven. What Christ did will get you to heaven. Go to the second thing I want you to look at. Go with me to Mark chapter 3 and verse 4, if you would. Were these Pharisees really concerned about people or protocol? Were they concerned about people or protocol? Do you understand that true Bible Christianity and true Bible religion was to visit the widows and the orphans? It was to take care of helpless people. The true Bible religion was you need help and God has sent somebody to help you. 
That's the whole story of the Bible. That's why it's good news. It's good news because it says nobody else cares about you, but the God of heaven cares about you, and he's done everything so you can be saved. Look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 4. Now, Jesus brashly says, is it lawful? Hey, religious leaders, big shot religious preachers here who know the Bible so well, though I am the Bible and you don't recognize me. He said, is it right? Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? And they were like, we're not talking about that. I plead the fifth. No answers here. You see, there were hurting people in the synagogue. And helping hurting people should have been their goal. Instead, they did like everyone else and judged people. When people were hurting, this guy's got a withered hand. It's probably his fault. If it's not his, it's his mama's fault. It's his daddy's fault. The truth is, the reason you're hurting is you're wicked. The reason you're hurting is your mama's wicked. The reason you're hurting is your daddy's wicked. The reason you're hurting is something bad in your life. And that would not be the right answer, but it was kind of a common answer. And that angered Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. And when he had looked round about with, on them with anger, look at that, Jesus is a little bit upset. <laughs> He's furious. He said he looked with them in anger and he was grieved, hurt for the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it and it was restored whole. Jesus is in the room and he's like, uh, guys, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be loving people. You're supposed to be helping people. You're supposed to be giving them the good news. When Adam and Eve sinned, I didn't come down with bad news. I came down with good news. I've been bringing good news all through the Bible. fact is, when you messed up and sinned, I made an offering for you. I gave you a way to take an offering to, the, to, to, to sacrifice because none of you ever lived up. I gave you a day of atonement. I'm a good God, and I'm helping people. I'm saving people, and I'm changing lives. But you guys, I'm, I'm about tired of it. See, he was hurt because they weren't doing their job. That's nothing new. That's nothing new. All the way back in the Old Testament, I'm going to take you with me to Jeremiah chapter 3, if you would, right quick. You need to understand this conflict's been going on because religion messes everything up. Everybody gets hung up on, well, I don't, but you do. Well, I, you don't. And that's not what was going on in the passage in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah said, I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. He said, I want you to have a pastor, shepherd, a leader who would come out and tell you what I got to say, not what y'all got to say. Stay out of your boardroom, stay out of your theology classes, get into my book and find out what I say and go teach that and preach that. Look, if you would, at Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 2. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 2. It's on the screen behind me. If you don't have time to get to it, write it down, look it up later. Spiritual leaders should take care of people. The Bible says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. That's what most religious leaders do. They have a church so they can live off your money. They have a church so you can make them fat and wealthy and rich. And then he said, should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Shouldn't the shepherd be coming in here and saying, I'm here to help you know what God says. I'm here to help you know what truth is. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 4. In Ezekiel 34 and verse 4, he said, the, the diseased have you not strengthened? Neither have you healed that which was sick? 
Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. Why are you mistreating my people? Why are you beating up on people? Can I just say this? Our society knows that church is a pretty rough place to go. They know if they walk in the door, we're just going to beat the living devil out of them. We're going to look down on them. We'll be critical of them. We're going to be judgmental of them. And instead of being people that would say, I'm here to help the diseased, to heal the sick, to bind up the broken, that's not what we're going to do. Look at Ezekiel 34, 10. Thus said the Lord, I am against the shepherds. I am against them. So Jesus being against them in the book of Mark's not something new. It's like Ezekiel was there already and Jeremiah was already there, and that's the way it's been going on. And these religious people, they just hate Jesus because he's trying to show them what a good God God is. And so in Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, they get with the Herodians to see if they can't destroy Jesus. The Herodians were their arch enemies. The Herodians were hooked up with the religious, with, with Rome. The, they were trying to be Jews that were still hooked up with Rome. They didn't even like them. But everybody hated Jesus because he brought good news. Religion tends to like bad news. Can I explain to you what good preaching is in a good church, in a good Baptist church? It's uh, rip the skin off, throw salt in, kick you a few times, put the salt back on and say, bless you, go home now. And we call that good preaching. Boy, you stomped my toe. Boy, you worked me over. Well, Jesus doesn't seem to have that attitude. Notice what he said when he started preaching. Notice what he said when he started preaching when he got to the synagogue. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. This is like one of the most wonderful passages in the Bible. Look at this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And his, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And they had this custom of visiting rabbis could stand up and read the scriptures. So Jesus stood up and read. In verse 17, they gave him the book of Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And Jesus walks in. Can't you imagine this? Here they are in the, here they are. You come walking in there look, looking you over. You measure up. You up to where you ought to be. You got a withered hand. Nobody helped that guy. Nobody helped that guy. This is Sabbath. Rule on top of rule on top of rule. And Jesus walked in that day in Luke chapter 4, and he said, uh, they, they handed him the scripture, they handed him Isaiah, and he said, tell you what I'm here for, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. They may have been worried about following rules, but Jesus and his father were concerned about helping hurting people. Before I give you the last point and finish, let me just say to you, we ought to be a Bible teaching, Bible preaching, Bible living church. And all around us are hurting people. All around us are people that sin has destroyed them. They've let, uh, they've let sin in their life and it's gotten them in trouble. They've let uh, alcohol in and they've let drugs in and they've let sex deviance, deviant sexual behavior in. And it's messed them up and they're hurting. And where can they go? Where can they go? I can tell you if he was here, and he is here, but if he was here, he'd help them.
he'd heal them. They'd see their need, they'd come to him, and he'd make a difference in their life. So when people walk in the doors of Vision Baptist Church, there ought to be an attitude that says, I love you, and we're here to help. That doesn't mean we condone sin. That doesn't mean we accept sin. That doesn't mean we say sin's right. It just means this. We know sin's beating them up. We have a little boy in our church right now fighting a, a, a wicked disease, leukemia. He's fighting a wicked disease, and he'll fight it for several years. But none of us are mad at little Hamilton. We're mad at leukemia. And Jesus said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and rulers of wickedness in high places. The fight's not with the sinner. fight's with the sin, and that's where we want to take it. So what was Jesus about? Go with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 3 and verse 7. The battle with religion and religious leaders is over for the moment. So he was out there in the field plucking the grain and eating the grain, and they weren't following the rules, and the Pharisees got upset. Then he walked into their domain and said, I'm here to show you I am the Lord of the harvest. And he showed them that. And, and, and then, then he wanted to know, are y'all worried about people? Does it bother you that people need the good news of Jesus Christ? Our churches are emptying out of young people because we are so judgmental and not preaching help and not preaching salvation. We're preaching cultural stuff. We're preaching don't eat on the Sabbath. We're preaching that instead of the gospel. So what was it about? So Jesus pulls away now. Chapter 3 and verse 7. Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and Edom, and from beyond Jordan, and Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. They had heard what great things he did, and they came to him. So here's the story. Jesus has had his battle with uh, religious leaders, and now he pulls away to a different place. And literally, people are coming from well over 100 miles away when you got to walk or ride a donkey to get there. And people are coming from everywhere. I was going to bring you a map, but I'm just not that technically savvy. We're going to have it put on the screen, but I, I even played with it for two hours. And then I said, fooey on this, I'll just tell them. But, they, I mean, it's like coming, they're, they're like coming here from Savannah, Georgia to be here. They're like coming here from the mountains to be here. They want to know. There's this guy who helps hurting people. We've heard about it. If you're sick, he'll do something. If you're, if you're full of demons, he'll do something. If you're hurting, he'll do something. He loves people. We want to find him. Jesus pulled out of the synagogue where it should have been the place. It should have been the place. It was the gathering of the people that loved Jesus or God, supposedly. But he pulled away. And the people are coming. So many are coming at such a fast pace that Jesus sends a memo to his disciples. He, he sent a, a text message and said, boys, get a boat. And so I can get in the boat and get out, of the, get out in the water because when I get there, the crowds are going to crush me if we're not careful. You say, he did not do that. Look at your Bible, Mark chapter 3, verse 9. Not the text message. The other part's true. For those of you who don't know, that's not, that's not been around forever. All you millennials that think people were texting in Jesus' day. Mark 3, 9. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should, 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 a small ship should wait on him because the multitude, the crowds, would throng him. I mean, they, <laughs> here's goodness in person. Here's grace in person. Here's kindness in person. Here's love in a human body. And they're just flooding to it. He said, boys, 
y'all get me a boat because they'll crush me. I need to sit in the boat, get out in the water so they can't just shove me down because guess what they were doing when they got to him? Says to, tells us, look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 10. See, he'd been healing hundreds and thousands of people. He had healed many in so much that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. Everybody knew there's something special about this guy. And, you know, you've heard about the lady who touched him of his garment. Everybody was doing that. That was just a story he had to bring out to show us the truth. Everybody's doing it. And so Jesus knew, man, they're all going to come rushing because if they just touch me, they'll get healed. They'll get, they'll get help. He was freeing people. It didn't matter what was going on in their life. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged that they should not make him known. Even people that had demons, devils, and their bodies were totally, they were losing control of themselves, Jesus healed them. They were really demons. And he told them, they told, he told them, he said, don't, don't, don't publish this. I'm not about trying to get name. I'm not trying to get a reputation. I'm just here to help you because I love people. That's what he was about. You want to know what he was about? In other places in the Bible, he told us what he was about. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He came to die. That's why he came. You see, sin brings death. And because we've sinned against the holy God, we all deserve to die. For the wages of sin is death. And so God in human flesh, God, God from heaven, came down, put on human flesh, and lived among us and died. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, Jesus didn't come for people to serve him. He came to serve them and to give his life. A ransom for a whole bunch of folks. Look at that. Jesus said, I'll pay your sin debt. And he came to die. Jesus came to die. He came to take your sickness. He came to take your sin. He came to take your failure. And he came to pay your debt so you could be saved. And he said that. He said, that's why I came. What a God. Over in the synagogue, over in the religion corner, we got, the, we got the big bad guys saying, follow the rules. And in the other corner, we got a guy saying, I'm here to help you. I'm here because I love you. He didn't take advantage of people. He came to rescue people. He gave his life so you can have yours. Look, if you would, at Luke 19.10. Look at Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, why would you be considered lost? When the Bible says lost, that's a person who's not saved. And what it means is a person who's gotten out of the way. For the Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if you'd like to know what sin is, sin is when you go your way, not his way. And by the way, some of your ways might be really wicked stuff, like you might be into some filthy sins that would be embarrassing to talk about, but some of you might be into pride and really good works. You might be the best guy in your neighborhood. You might be taking care of more poor people. You might be sending all your money to take care of Harvey victims. You just might be the greatest person in the world, but it's your way. I do this because I'm a good guy. That's your way. Actually, according to Scripture, nobody's good. All have sinned, and all have come short, and all are weak, and all are ungodly, and all are failures. And Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. What happened is you got off track. Instead of doing what the Lord wanted you to do, we all messed up and we all went on our own way and we're all over here lost. And like, I want to get to God, but I don't know how. 
I want to get to God. Maybe if I'm a really good guy and I pay all my bills. Maybe if I, maybe if I quit doing all the bad stuff and maybe if I get baptized and maybe if I do this and maybe if I do that. And so we try to come up with our own way to get to God, but you can't go that way. He came to seek the lost. And you're lost if you don't know this. It's only Jesus. No other way to be saved. No other way to go to heaven. Well, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is what we'll end with. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. We'll read down to verse 6. The Apostle Paul understood full well why Jesus had come. Here's what he said. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now he's saying, God, that's G-O-D in your Bible right there, God, the Lord, and he's our Savior. And what I'm about to say to you is really good and acceptable. He accepts it. He endorses this commercial. Look what he says in verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. You know what he's saying? I want you to be saved, all of you. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want them to go to hell in Kenya. I don't want them to go to hell in Peru. I don't want them to go to hell in China. I don't want them to go to hell in Argentina. I want everybody, all men, everywhere, I want them to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5, and that's the reason there's one God and one mediator, one guy who can fix things with God, is the man Christ Jesus. And look what he did. Who gave himself a ransom for all. Paid your sin debt. You can be saved. It's a gift. He took care of it. Paul said, now God likes what I'm saying to you. He wrote it down. The Holy Spirit preserved it. Put it in the Word of God for you. So you came this morning and you know you don't measure up because religion's already told you you'll never be good enough. Religion's already told you do this and this. And when you've done that, you might be close, but you might not be. So be real careful and keep on keeping on and keep on keeping on and and keep on keeping on because if you slip, you'll lose it. That's what religion told you. Maybe religion told you to get baptized and go to church and to love your wife. And, not, and, and you messed up and you did wrong and you're like, I've tried and I just can't get it done. Well, here's what the Bible says. He knows you've tried and couldn't get it done. He knows you can't get it done. <laughs> That's why he came and died on a cross. Because if you could have done it, he wouldn't have had to come and die. But he came and he paid our sin debt. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you've messed up. I don't care what wrong you've done. I don't care how far away you've roamed. I don't care what kind of mess-ups you've made. He loves you and wants you to be saved. Today, you can confess your sin and trust Christ, and he'll save you. He's already done everything. It's really just a matter of you accepting the free gift of God. Hey, religion, there are hurting people here. Quit beating up on them. I didn't make rules to hurt people. I made rules to help people. Hmm. Y'all really care about the people? Or just following your little rules. Because I'm here to help people. I'm going to have to pull away from you guys and go south. Where I can work with people. So you came today. You're not sure God loves you. Scriptures are pretty clear. He loves you very much. He paid your sin debt. You can be saved. Truth is, all you Christians, when you read this, it's kind of like on Nehemiah 8. You ought to be like, I'm having a party. Jesus saved me. How do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? Say amen. You're not going to heaven because you're a Baptist. Baptists are going to pollute hell and populate hell. Because Baptists don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. So if you trusted Christ, 
you have. You can rejoice in the goodness of our God. You can rejoice in his grace. You can rejoice in his mercy. And you can go out of here and love people. You can talk to your neighbor and say to him, I have what you need. I know the person who changed my life can change your life. And you can share the gospel. You can invite your family and your friends because they're going to be like, no, no, no. I know about you church people. You say, yeah, yeah, we're not going to be like that. We're going to tell you what Jesus said. He didn't even like the religious people himself. Trust Jesus. If you're here and you're not saved this morning, I want to ask you to put your faith and trust in Christ. I want to ask you to say, I know I've sinned. I know I've failed God. I know I deserve hell, but if he's that sweet and he's that loving and he's that kind, I want that gift. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com where you can find our service times, location, contact information, and more audio and video recordings.